Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us not the boldness, Father, because I don't think it requires boldness. Uh, certain degrees, um, evangelism requires boldness, Father. But I just pray for a greater tenderness and love for you, that there would just be this joy and this overflow from our hearts to talk about you, to bring you up at work and with our neighbors. Um, instead of reviewing the food, Father, we would just speak of you. So I pray that our conversations would be seasoned with you more. I pray that as we get into Revelation chapter 18 today, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience, Father. May we walk out of here different, encouraged, and set free. In Jesus' name, amen. I do believe that um, today was the last day for books for Sean Bay and Haley. So if you have any books that you can get to them, books or Bibles that he's donating to a men's shelter in Dayton, please do that. All right. So we are in Revelation chapter 18, which means in theory, we could possibly only have five more weeks in the book of Revelation. And that's if we do one chapter a week. What's the over-under of five weeks? <laughs> right? What do you guys think? Five weeks or <laughs> plus two, plus three, probably we're taking the over. I think I'm taking the over as well. Um, nevertheless, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Revelation chapter 17. And we had many questions that were asked throughout that study. Is Babylon a real place? Or is Babylon a figurative place? And our conclusion, or at least my conclusion, I'm not sure what your conclusion was. My conclusion was, yes, I believe that Babylon is both. Babylon was both a physical place, but Babylon is a spirit that's within the world. Now, many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we might even live under part of the spell of the Babylonian spirit. So remember that Babylon was founded by the rebellious one, Nimrod, who was a great-grandson of Noah. Under his leadership, Babel was in rebellion towards God. So what they ended up doing is they built a tower in direct rebellion against him. And essentially what they wanted to do is um, deliberately and intentionally do what God told them not to do. So what did they do? God told them to fill the earth and reproduce. And they said, we don't want to do that. We are going to stay right here. Essentially what they wanted is they wanted everything to be under one mantle, under one covering. Maybe one could say it like this. Maybe they wanted it to be, they wanted to have one world order. They wanted to have all their leadership, all their business, all their um, finance, all their community under one system. So I think that one world order originated in Babylon. Essentially then, um, yeah, and today we see these same Babylonian systems being created. We see one world banking systems being created. We see governments partnering together to create one world government. We see um, all these things happening. Nevertheless, this all originated in Babylon. When building the tower, they wanted, to make them, uh, they wanted to make a name for who? Themselves. They didn't want to make a name for God. They wanted to make a name for themselves. When they built the tower and when they built the walls that surrounded the city, when they built the moat around the city, what they wanted to do was God-proof their life. See, when they built these... Um, 
big exterior walls to the city, they said, no one's ever going to overtake us. And when they built the tower as high as they did, they said, since we're building the tower as high as it is, if a flood ever comes, we will be safe. So they wanted to God-proof their life. How many of us have ever tried to God-proof our life? With our finances, with our retirement, with our jobs, with our careers. We've tried. The other reason they built the tower is they liked to be in the sky. They liked to be with the prince of the air. Now, the prince of the air, according to scripture, is the devil. So they wanted to be in the sky to be near to the devil, but they also loved astrology. So they wanted to be in the heavens. Now, the heavens referenced here is not the heaven that God is sitting in, not where Jesus is, not where loved ones are who put their faith in Christ. The heaven that they're referencing is the stars in the sky. So they wanted to be with the stars in the sky. And essentially, Babylon's sin was idolatry. They were a city of false religion. And in chapter 17 of Revelation, what John makes known to us is this, is during the end of time, there will appear a woman known as Babylon the Great, who sits on many waters and the beast. So who is this woman? Who is the beast? And is she literally going to be sitting on Babylon and the beast? Um, who knows? I don't think so. I think it's figurative, right? So the beast here in Revelation chapter 17 represents different leadership around the world. And her job, this woman, and her desire as she sits on the beast is to unite all world governments in to a one world religion and one world order. That's what we are learning through chapter 17. And she's trying to unite these leaders to create a one a world order. Nevertheless, um, yeah. To make this happen, sorry, I was just uh, making sure I was on the right path. To make this happen, nothing will get in her way. She will kill those who are with her, and she will kill those who are against her. So last week we learned about the spirit of Babylon. And the spirit of Babylon is a spirit that opposes anything that is godly. So now this week, the same spirit is at work. But the spirit is at work in a different way. This week, we are introduced to the city of Babylon, the great. So the question we have to ask is, is the woman who rides the beast an actual woman? I do not believe so personally. Therefore, as we get into chapter 18, we must also ask, is the city an actual city that's mentioned here in 17 and 18? I personally do not believe that Babylon is a single city. Rather, it represents a far greater kingdom that is everything that opposes God. So some have speculated that America is the great city of Babylon. Anyone ever speculated that or felt that way? Some of you maybe haven't speculated that America is Babylon. Maybe you have speculated that New York City is Babylon. Anyone ever speculated that New York City is Babylon? Or Los Angeles, um, Yellow Springs? <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh, that was free, too. Uh, other, yeah, so others say New York, L.A., but others have even just said any large city in the U.S. Now, here's, um, here's what's unique is us farm folk have issues with the big city, right? The big cities, because essentially big cities, their lifestyle is completely different than us. Now, big city people, 
they have issues with flyover country. We are flyover country, and they don't like the way that we live. And as for me, I think all people are people. If you want to live in the city, God bless you. If you want to live in the farmland, God bless you. But the issue is, is maybe what I see with flyover country culture is, um, I'm going to stereotype here for a minute, right? I'm not getting political. But typically in flyover country, everyone thinks that people in the city are Democrats, right? I'm not saying where I stand. What I'm saying is, stereotypically speaking, they're Democrats. So Democrats then, of course, New York City is Bab Babylonian because it's a city full of Democrats that will just allow anything to happen. Typically, that's what I hear from people, and that's their perspective, is because farm people are Republicans and they do everything right. Only the big cities are Democrats and they do things wrong. So of course it's Babylon. And it's just like, give it up trying to figure out who Babylon is, in my opinion. What I need to make sure is I don't have the Babylonian spirit in me. So today, I'm not going to tell you who the city of Babylon is or isn't because I think it's far greater than that. I think it's something that we all possess. We all can carry this spirit. So speculation can get you this. Watch this. This is what one author suggests as he speculates. There are two ruling bodies in the Roman Catholic Church, the College of Cardinals and the College of Bishops and Archbishops. These two bodies are somewhat like the Senate and the House of Representatives here in the U.S. Cardinals wear red, while non-cardinal bishops and archbishops wear purple. Mystery Babylon is a city that sits on seven hills. Rome is known worldwide as the city of seven hills. Mystery Babylon is to sit on peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Rome is the headquarter of the Roman Catholic Church, claiming one billion members worldwide. Mystery Babylon is described as being clothed in purple and red. The official colors of the two ruling bodies of the Roman church um, are purple and red. One other factor should be understood. In Revelation 17, God chose to use a woman, a whore, to symbolize the Roman Catholic church. Why? It's very simple. In scripture, God always used a woman to symbolize a church. He used a virgin to represent his true church, and he used a harlot to represent a false church, as he did in Revelation 17 through 19. So this author finishes to say this. There can be only one conclusion. The Vatican is the mystery Babylon of Revelation, and it is a false religious system that has deceived people of the world that will be destroyed at the time of Armageddon. So speculating can go as deep as, well, the, the Vatican and the Catholic Church has red and purple on what they do, so clearly Revelation is talking about the Catholic Church. Well, here's what I would say. Maybe it's the Catholic Church. Maybe it's not. But for me to speculate with the Bible not being explicitly clear, I think, gets me down rabbits, rabbit holes that we shouldn't be going down. Amen? Now, what's interesting is um, some of us wanted me to speculate this whole series. You wanted me to tell you exactly who the Antichrist is. You wanted me to put names on it. You wanted me to do all these things. And speculation can be fun. I myself have many speculations about the end of time. But you know what they are? Speculations. It's not truth. And I allow myself to go down those, um, those thought processes because what I do realize is it expands my mind. 
life is not everything that I think it is. So I need to allow my mind to, to grow in speculation sometimes. But for me to preach and tell you that Babylon is New York or Los Angeles or Yellow Springs, Mechanicsburg, America, China, Australia, I'm not going to do it because there's something far greater at work that God wants us to pay attention to. So this is why I don't speculate who Babylon is. Nevertheless, um, my hesitancy to call it a city or America is because I primarily see it as a spirit who will create global systems to oppose God. So this Babylonian spirit is creating a global system that's opposing God. And sadly, no matter how wonderful the spirit may seem to those here on earth, in one moment, this spirit will be taken down. Babylon the Great will be destroyed. The spirit of Babylon is enticing to all of us. Every single one of us, we desire certain things that it represents. So even though it will be destroyed, chapter 18 reveals to us its ways of deception. So Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. The spirit of Babylon uses its power to deceive people in material wealth. You and I have to be mindful of that. Nevertheless, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and a haunt for every uh, impure spirit, and a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The king of the earth committed adultery with her. The kings, sorry. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. The Babylonian spirit has been deceiving all nations into thinking that life happiness is found in materialism and excessive luxuries. And because people make this their priority, they lose focus on God and create idols of things. And we see that in verse 3, for all of the nations have drunk of the maddening wine of her adulteries. All nations, right? The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich with her excessive luxuries. What verse 3 is telling us is people cheated on God with Babylon, and Babylon was convincing people that they need more excessive luxuries. Now, maybe you yourself think, I am not materialistic. Would anyone in here, we're not going to judge you, I mean, we're all godly people, right? We're, there is absolutely no way that the church or that godly people would be materialistic, right? Anyone in here think that you're not materialistic? Ray's not. We know Ray's not. He's been wearing, he's been wearing that same shirt. We see him every Sunday in that same shirt and same flip-flops, winter, fall, spring, spilled coffee. He just went to the Bahamas. He just went to the Bahamas. <laughs> he... I saw the pictures <laughs> on the boat, in the ocean, in the sauna. All the pictures showed that he, he's not a materialistic man in the Bahamas. <laughs> Nevertheless, we all, most of us think, I'm not materialistic. I give a percentage to the church or I'm not desiring lavish things. Well, buckle your seatbelts because you are included in what's next. The average household 
has 300,000 items in it. Pieces of paper, pictures, silverware, cups, cups that you keep and plates that you keep when you say, well, hey, look, when we have 40, pe when we have 40 people over from church, we're going to have to have all these plates. Y'all don't even have over three people from church. So why do we need 40 plates, 40 cups, a tea set matching with 80 things of silverware? Yeah. All the husbands in the house before, this is them. They slipped some stuff in my pocket. The average household, 300,000 items, cards, um, Childhood things, right? Pens and, pencils. Pens and pencils. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Markers. Crayons. Because you go to the store and you're like, oh, there's crayons on sale. Well, we don't even have kids yet. But it's 25 cents for crayons. <laughs> Fill up the cart. You, I feel good. I got 18 packs of crayons or crowns, whatever you guys call them. If they're crowns to you, you can't be trusted. <laughs> Crayons. You just buy this. You feel good about it. Black Friday shopping. 300,000 items on average. The average house size in 2020 was 2,261 feet, which is well over twice the size of the houses in, in the 1950s. One out of 10 people rent storage units. How many of you guys have a storage unit in here? Now, you're afraid to raise your hand, aren't you? <laughs> we can laugh at our pain. Like, there's no judgment in this. Let's soberly just asses assess. So then it's like, yeah, I got to. We, we don't have a storage unit, but y'all better see a section of our basement. We had to get a big curtain. So when you come over, you can see it. And what was funny is when we went through it and we put all the curtain up, then we forgot that when we moved in, we put stuff under the crawl space too. too. So then we pull back the crawl space and we're like, oh, that curtain's gonna have to move back another 10 feet. <laughs> storage units, one out of 10 people have a storage unit. One fourth of people who have two-car garages can't park cars in them because they're stuffed too full. Stuff, 300, over 300,000 items on average. I just love how we're laughing at our pain. While only 32% can fit one car, 32% of the uh, people who have Two-car garages, 32% of them can only fit a single car in them. The U.S. has around 50,000 storage facilities, while only 10,000 Starbucks. Currently, there is 7.3 square feet of storage available for every person in the U.S., so within these 50,000 storage unit facilities, for every single one of us, on average, there's 7.3 square feet available. That's a lot. This means that everyone in the U.S. could physically stand under the roof of self-storage. Can you imagine everyone in America standing in one place and we would have 7.3 Square feet, I mean, like, that gives you a little bit of room to stretch a little bit, right? That's crazy. That's a lot of storage. The average 10-year-old has 238 toys, but only plays with 10 daily. 3.1% of the world's children live in the U.S., but they own 40% with the toys in the world. And now someone's speculating, I told you America's Babylon. 
3%, 40%. The average woman, oh, should I even? I'm going for it. You guys are going to feel good about this number. I promise you. You are going to feel really good about this number. The average woman has 30 outfits. So do you have more than 30 outfits? You do. The average woman has 30 outfits. In the 30s, in the 50s, actually in the 50s, it was nine. Nine outfits. Now y'all have 30, and you're like, yeah, I'm happy you said 30, because you might be able to say 60. Anyone in here like, I'm only happy you said 30? <laughs> Stu. <laughs> the average family spends $1,700 a year on clothes. Nearly half of Americans don't save money. Houses have more TVs than people. Think about that. Does your house have more TVs than people? <laughs> You're like, well, yeah. I mean, like, t I don't have to talk to TVs, right? Like, average. In America, the average TV is on eight hours a day. These are sickening so far, aren't they? Americans donate 1.9% of their income to charities, the church included, while 6 billion worldwide, worldwide live on less than 13,000 a year. Talk about materialism. The church, on average, you are within that average, I am within that average, give less than one point. 3%, or sorry, 1.9% of our income. But on average, we have 30 outfits, 300,000 items in our house, storage units, can't fit stuff in our garage. And if we have a two-car garage, we might only be able to fit one car because we have so much stuff. And then some of you are like, well, I don't rent a storage unit and I, my garage is clean. Well, y'all farm boys just got some big barns, okay? We're always looking for the loophole. Why is it that the church only, or the Americans only donate 1.9%? That's materialistic, isn't it? Why can't we give more to things that matter? Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches, $100 billion a year, than they do higher education. Malls outnumber high schools in the U.S. 93% of high school girls say that shopping is their favorite pastime. Can I get a witness? The average woman... This is crazy. This is just a great way to get women on your side, too. Just, I should start every sermon. The average woman crossed my arms and just... <laughs> you too, Shelly. The average... Let me find my spot now. The average woman spends eight years of life shopping. Eight years of your life, on average, you spend shopping. So grocery shopping, Kohl's. You want to know what's the biggest ticket of Babo uh, the Babylonian spirit is Kohl's cash. <laughs> Let me give you 20%, $20 off the next time in three weeks when you spend $80. Get behind me, Satan. Now, have any of you guys ever um, bought something from Amazon, needed to return it, and you take it, uh, take it to Kohl's? And then when you return it to Kohl's, you know what they do? They give you a coupon for like 15, 20% off. Get behind me, Satan. I ripped that thing up. Don't let Macy know where I returned it and get rid of it. 
because I am not going to be a part of your eight years of shopping. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a good day today. Pray for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Think about that, though. Just, just think about that. Soberly assess, what am I spending my time on? Now, I wish I could find more st uh, statistics about guys, but I didn't exclude. This is just like two studies, copy-paste. I didn't come up with the studies. I didn't kick stuff out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. FanDuel, right? Betting. Guys betting and gambling. Yard work. And the, the new mowers. And... You want to know what I got? I got this nice plug-in um, leaf blower. That thing whistles and purrs so good. My yard's so small. Just 25 feet worth of rope or extension cord. Man, I get that whole yard. People don't think I'm manly in the neighborhood, but I'm like, hey, this thing is tough. <laughs> Nevertheless, the tools that we buy and, and the gambling and the obsession with sports or going to sports or buying sports apparel, what hunting. I'm not saying buying some of these things is bad, but when on average we have 300,000 items, we have to check, are we living under the Babylonian spirit? I'm almost done with these statistics. I know you're tired of them. The average person will spend 3,680 hours or 158 days looking for misplaced <laughs> items. <laughs> How many of you guys have ever said, where's the TV control? And then you look at the person, are you sitting on the TV control? And they're like, no, I'm not. And you're like, I don't trust you. Get up. Sometimes it's not under them. Other times they're sitting on it. Americans, um, the average person loses 200,000 items over a lifetime. Phones, keys, papers, sunglasses, <laughs> money. Americans spend $1.2 trillion on non-essential goods. On average, every person spends over $700 a month on non-essential goods. The uh, average American throws away 68 pounds of clothes a year. The average American spends $1,000 on Christmas. 84% of Americans are stressed their house isn't clean or organized enough because there's so much stuff. The home good industry is a $8 billion industry a year, but growing at the rate of 10% every year. And according to one study, there's multiple, right? The average household debt for a credit card is $14,000 in America. The average student loan is $58,000. The average auto loan is $31,000. The average mortgage is $202,000. Are we materialistic? We are materialistic. We are. We have too much. And what does God tell us as he says, hey, look, those who carry the Babylonian spirit, what the next part is going to tell us is to repent. Because what the Babylonian spirit tells us is if we buy this outfit or if we buy this new tool that we already have three of, if we get this new TV, if we just had a new car, <coughs> if we just click... Have, buy something else on Amazon, if we just acquire another thing and another thing and another thing, then we think that we're going to be happy. 
And what the Babylonian spirit tries to tell you is that things will make you happy. So then what ends up happening is that things become our God and our idol more than God becoming our God. And I think of how many times, um, how many times when I'm frustrated or, um, yeah, frustrated, depressed, anxious, worried, I'll go get a bowl of ice cream, right? And it's like I use that ice cream as that immediate fix to make me feel something. So then ice cream becomes that idol in my life. And what the Babylonian spirit is, is we want to feel something. So, so what we do is we go click something, and we go buy something, and we go build something, and we go do something. When God's saying, you're pursuing all of these things, and I'm not in those things, I'm waiting for you over here, but you're at Kohl's, you're at Home Depot, you're at Lowe's, you're on Amazon. Don't hear me being condemning of us buying certain things. But do we need as many things as we actually have? Why do we keep on adding them to our lives? Could we be doing something better with those resources? Of the things that we do in life, how many of those things are going to matter when we go to heaven? And what I'm hoping to create here as a church is we're able to address honest conversations in a way because the Bible speaks about them and not feel like we're um, being picked on. I'm not pointing that finger at anyone other than Macy and myself. We have to analyze how many things in our house do we have too many of. Let's talk about candles. Right? Um, I have a bunch of shoes. I have to, it's just not, it's easy to pick on Macy. I have too many shoes. I have, um, I, I too probably have too many clothes still from high school. And that's how we rationalize, right? Like, well, these are from high school. I can keep them. Like, I still wear them. Why not keep them? Well, no, like, if you're not using it, if you haven't worn it in three years, just get rid of it. So we are materialistic, and God says, repent. Flee from it. Leave these ways. So God calls his people to flee Babylon. Verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and, the God, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay back Sorry, pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I, will, I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. God is going to judge this spirit in all of us. And one day, it will all be over. Now, what verses 4 through 8 are pointing to are prophetic references from Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 48, verse 20 says this, Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. So go, go out of Babylon, Go out of the spirit that she's keeping us under. Isaiah 52, 11. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. You who bear the vessels 
of the Lord. Jeremiah 51, 6 and 7. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not, be not cut off in her punishment. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. So what we have going on here in Revelation 18 is God telling his people to get rid of the ways of Babylon. He was serious, and what he's going to do is repay the Babylonian spirit back double what she did. And what our warning is in this is if you don't repent, you will face the plagues of Babylon. If we don't get rid of the spirit within our lives, we are going to face this plague. That's scary. What was happening was materialism was thriving. And it made people feel safe and valuable. Essentially, it made them feel like um, all they needed was stuff. Why do we buy more things? Why do we get more things? As I was wrestling through it, I think we buy more things because more things make us feel safe and valuable. I get this new t-shirt because I feel good in this t-shirt. And because I feel good in this, what are my um, high school coaches always said, feel good, look good, play good, right? So you get this t-shirt because maybe it fits your curves a little bit better. It hides them a little bit more, so you feel better in it. It pulls out something in your eyes or whatever, right? Or it was just too good of a deal. It was, <laughs> it was three for 120 bucks. It was a great deal. I had to do it. I mean, this only comes around every week. Every week they have this same deal. So it makes us feel good. It makes us feel valuable because maybe people will affirm us. Nice t-shirt, nice glasses, nice shoes. So we feel valued by it. Or it makes us feel safe. You know, a new car makes us feel safe and valuable. Um, new shoes. We can justify new shoes, right? I mean, you guys can justify heels, too. You know, if, if I don't have my new steel toe boots, then I'm going to drop plywood on my toe and... You can justify it. Well, women, I need new heels because, you know, this whole flop-flop deal, you don't want me having my, my broken ankle. So I need new shoes. We can justify it to feel valuable and to feel safe. Yet we know um, essentially what we need is Christ and Christ alone. We know being rich and poor whether we are rich or whether we are poor, what do we need at the core? Christ. New t-shirt or no t-shirt, we need Christ. Materialism at the root of it all is about feeling safe and valuable. Just like the spirit of Babylon, people try to God-proof their life with materialism. If I have this, I can feel safe. If I have that, people will like me. If I have this in my life, my life will finally matter. If I have this much, my future is bright. And what has happened is materialism has corrupted people, materialism has corrupted governments, and materialism has corrupted businesses since the beginning of time. Do you guys see that? See, what we can easily point to is money has corrupted government. Like, we all want to point finger at government and say it's just all corrupted and it's all about money and wealth that we can point the finger there. And then we can point fingers at businesses that we don't like. It's, you know, their product, 
their product used to be good, but now it's just all about money. And all they want is, you know, their bottom dollar, so it's no longer any good. So um, it's just about them having bigger houses. But what we rarely will point the finger at is ourselves. Money and materialism has corrupted the church. Money and materialism has corrupted you and I. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of us in here are corrupted by money. I'm not. I'm not accusing us of anything. I'm asking that we soberly assess our own lives. I'm not judging anyone, but we have to soberly assess because we too can be corrupted by the Babylonian spirit. Yeah, so um, just like the Babylonian sp spirit, people try to God-proof their life. Materialism has corrupted everything. And to be honest, we see the Babylonian spirit all over the world right now. Think about all the sex trafficking that is going on around the world right now and the money that is in that. Now, that one's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You have perverts and indecent people, and then you have also people who are willing to steal innocent boys and girls, children and adults, and put them under drugs or slavery and sell them for the sake of money. That's the Babylonian spirit, materialism, things. So we have that, porn, the porn industry. And, how, and that's a triggered word in church, right? But we're not afraid to use those words. The porn industry and how it is, how it is feeding materialism. War. War, a lot of war today is about money, not about good and evil. It's just about money. Medicine, money, sports, FanDuel, money, apparel, money. There's so much going on in the world that is about materialism, advertisements, I just heard the other day that they've already sold the Super, most of the Super Bowl ads, a 30-second ad for a slot, just a, essentially like an A slot is you know, a good slot, B, C, D, like a D slot for the Super Bowl, 30 seconds, $5 million. That's not even the production of the commercial. So people are spending $5 million and then the cool ad to gaslight you and me to convince us that we need something that's going to bring us happiness. And at the root of the Babylonian spirit, it is to convince us that we can find happiness in something other than Christ. How many of us have bought into that spirit? Women, they buy into how many thermoses they need, right? We need a thermos for every occasion and some. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we could just go on with that. One author says this. We should be grateful for the many good things about our nation, but we should not be naive about Babylonians' influence on it. But the deception of the power of Babylon the Great doesn't just seduce our government and businesses through materialism, it also seduces each of us on a deeply personal level. So we have to be aware of the spirit within our life. Let's move on, verse 11. People, they will weep and mourn because money doesn't flow. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stone, and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet clothes. Every sort of citron wood 
and articles of every kind made in ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of the fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. Now, the things that are being talked about here, these are not daily living items. These are about the necessities. How many things have we convinced ourselves of in our lives that are necessities, but they're actually not? I need a cell phone. No, you don't. We don't. We do not need cell phones. Amen? We don't. I need an iPad. I need 10 TVs. You don't. What we need is we need a relationship with Jesus. We need to eat. We need to drink. And we need to work hard for Christ in everything that we do. Amen? We have convinced... You guys remember the, the monkey illustration that I shared last week? Anyone remember it? Five of you. Great. Well, since the rest of you... Yeah, it was a couple weeks ago, yeah. See, I only know when I shared it, so now I'm going to make a joke on you, and I only know when I shared it. How many of you guys... Any, I'm going to share it. It's, a, it's really good, and this is happening to us when it comes to materialism. They took five monkeys. They put these monkeys in a room, and when they put these monkeys in a room, what they ended up doing is they put bananas up. Now you guys remembering? All right. So what ended up happening is this, and then everyone else is like, well, what's the story? What's the story? Go to a couple weeks ago, www.mcf-online, don't know where you should go to, like in the sense of what minute marker, just listen to the whole message, and you'll hear it. <laughs> Get back to me next week. Essentially, what they ended up doing is as they transitioned all these this experiment revealed that monkeys were doing things and they had no clue why they were doing them. I feel like I should share the story now, but I'm not. So monkeys were doing things and they had no clue why they were doing them because of the conditioning of those before them. How many things within life are we doing because of the conditioning before us that we have no clue that we're even doing them or why we're doing them? How many things are we doing in life that we're just like, well, we do this, but we have no clue why? We're only doing it because someone else told us that we should do it. Amen. So why are we so materialistic? Why do we need so many things? Well, because society told us this is what we're supposed to do. Because TikTok or whatever, right? But why, why are we doing the things that we're doing? We have no clue. We're just doing them because we've been conditioned to do them. So why do we buy so many things? Why do we buy things past our need? And what's going on here in verses 11 through um, 13 is they're, they're sad and they're brokenhearted and they're lost because the fine things of life, there's no more iPhones, there's no more gold, there's no more power, there's no more big screen TVs, there's no more electric cars, praise God, right? There's no more... Um, Buckeye football games. There's no more of these exclusive items. So people are, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn because the money has stopped flowing. See, there are people who have the Babylon spirit who think more about money and retirement than they do making disciples. Do you think more about money and retirement than you do making disciples? I'm not pointing the finger trying to share what scripture, the heart behind what scripture wants us to repent of. There are people who think more about acquiring things than they do loving God. There are people who will make a sacrifice to make more money, but won't make a sacrifice to further the kingdom or serve in the church. There's people who are working three jobs just so they can buy their family gifts of $1,000 over Christmas. Or they just swipe the credit card and go in greater credit card debt. Because the Babylonian spirit is at work in their life. 
these people in the end will mourn when the material things do not go their way. So I ask, do you have the Babylonian spirit in your heart? And in one hour, everything will change. Verse 17, in one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who traveled by ship, the sailors, and all who earned their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and they will weep. They will be weeping and mourning and crying out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her. And with judgment, she imposed, with, and with the judgment, she imposed on you. Everything that people put their hope in that was not of Christ, everything people spent their life earnings on, everything they were working towards materialistically is destroyed in one moment. So if those things can be destroyed in one moment, they're not very valuable, are they? So what scripture tells us is don't focus on earthly things, but to store up treasure in heaven that has eternal value. And what we have to realize and what we have to fight is the urge. I mean, just think like, Look, I mean, honestly, for some of us, $10 is a lot. But what is $10 when you go to the store and you buy the candle? Makes you feel good for a second. But when the average American individual is spending $700 a month, how dare we say we care about the orphans and the widows or the least of these? Fighting that urge can help propel an orphan or a widow can help uh, people within our community. So maybe me saying no to um, a new pair of shoes or Macy saying no to a candle, every time we say that, we can set that money aside and then give it to the next person in need. Every time I say no to something, put, because I can justify why I can buy it, right? We can always justify it. But may we say no to some of these things. Put that money aside and then give it to people who are in need. Nevertheless, everything that people were working towards materialistically is destroyed in one moment. And this is what death will be like for many. They are expecting a life that is free, yet in one moment they see themselves under the wrath of God being sent away from him. We think that we're, or the world thinks that they're living right with Christ. You know, as I said a couple weeks ago, Macy and I had that conversation with uh, someone up the road, and they said, well, Jesus wasn't perfect. They said, I'm a Christian, and Jesus wasn't perfect, right? I said, no, wrong. You are wrong. Jesus was perfect. If Jesus wasn't perfect, then he couldn't have been the sacrifice for us. But there's people with this mentality who think that they're Christians, who think that they're doing life right. And in one moment, they'll be thrown into hell, and that's a sad reality. We're wrapping up with the last point. Babylon will seduce and distract people from reality. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the wor world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. How many nations? All nations were led astray by the spell 
of Babylon. And because it's all nations, you and I have to pay attention. Now, the phrase magic spell in the original language is pharmakia, right? Many of you guys know the word pharmakia. But this means the use of mixing potions or mixing drugs or poisoning. It also can mean witchcraft. So uh, the spirit of Babylon is a spell. That's what's being said here. The spirit of Babylon is a spell that is cast on all nations that is meant to lure you in. It deceives us into thinking that material things are where we find our identity, security, and value. Yet it is completely counterfeit to the gospel of Christ. He alone is everything we need. So those of us who have over 300,000 items, those of us who have multiple storage units and barns full and can't fit our cars into the garage, no condemnation, right? But we have to ask, are we under a spell? Have we been led astray into thinking that things bring us happiness? And then some of you are like, well, I'm not under a spell. I'm just preparing for the end. I have all these things because I'm a prepper. Well, that also might speak to a lack of faith as well, right? You're trying to build your, your walls like, Babylonian, like the Babylonians did to say, hey, if the end comes, I'm safe. Just let God be your safety. Nevertheless, pharmakia, they, they were, the Babylonian spirit casts a spell over us. The spirit causes us to see material things as more valuable than they are. And we never graduate from the lure of Babylon. It's always coming for us. It's always chasing us. And it always wants to deceive us. So we can't walk out of here today and say, I'm above materialism. We have to walk out of here today on guard, saying, God, keep me and protect me. May I walk in your spirit. And there are many points, uh, there are many points that we don't even realize in our own lives that we're following the spirit and we didn't even know it. How many of you guys remember the movie, The Matrix? Um, Matrix was an interesting movie when you thought about it. And you're like, well, we don't watch movies. And they're like, well, if a pastor saw the movie The Matrix, he's a sinner. All right, I'm a sinner. Pray for me. So the movie The Matrix, um, it's interesting because everyone thinks that they are living their own meaningful life within The Matrix. Most people within the movie don't understand, oh, sorry, if you want to watch the movie, you've been waiting... 20 years to watch it, and you're like, it's been on the shelf, and I've been meaning to watch it. Just cover your ears, because spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the, the end. <laughs> so within the matrix, people think, people think that, hey, um, we're living our normal lives. But there's the, this character, Neo, he's like, this isn't life. This isn't reality. This isn't the way that it seems. Like, this isn't truth. But everyone else is just like, this is the way we're supposed to live. And the spell that the Babylonian spirit puts on us is the Babylonian spirit tells us it's normal for you to spend $1,200 at Christmas. It's normal for you to have 300,000 items. It's normal for you to be happy by buying items and that be fulfillment in your life. It's normal for you to have $14,000 credit card debt because you, you need more things. And we say, well, because everyone's doing it, and not only is the world doing it, but the church is also living that way, and the church is also setting that example, I'll do it. So the Babylonian spirit convinces us that we need these things and that this is life. But in the matrix, what ends up happening is Neo, he saw it differently. See, there were two pills that he could take. He could take a red pill that was truth and would allow him to see everything as it was. Or he could take the blue pill and continue to live on. Live on in this belief of life is, this is the way that life is. 
And for you and I, we have grown up in a world and we continue in a world where we can be a red pill, we can take a red pill and see life as it is, or we can take the blue pill and just live on. And sometimes what's easier is just to take the blue pill, right? Because the red pill seems hard. Just, yeah, I just want to keep on being materialistic. Now, what is our red pill? How do we escape the spell and the matrix of Babylon? Well, Jesus is our red pill. Jesus is the red pill for life. In him, we get freed from all fears, worries, sins, and even the Babylonian spirit. In him, we get freed from materialism. If we repent and follow him, we get freed from death and the spirit that deceives us. So maybe you have received Jesus that doesn't mean that um, you are following him perfectly. Maybe you need to repent of putting your trust in things above him. I'm going to pray. Father, don't want it to be a heavy message. Um, reveal to us this week where we have been lured away by the spell of the Babylonian spirit that tells us that we can put other things in front of God, that materialistic things can bring us happiness, that materialistic things bring us life. Father, help us break that addiction to things. In Jesus' name, help us break it. May your blood and your grace pour over that, pour over our, um, our, our lives to set us free from our addiction to things. Father, may we become people over the next several months that are willing to um, get rid of things, um, not buy more things, and be okay with it. Father, I pray that um, if there's any clarification that needs to be had, there's no finger being pointed today, Father. But if people have questions, may they know they can come have a conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. See, if I was smart, then that's when I would have done like a, um, a tithing, a, a tithing opportunity, right? Here at the church, we do believe that tithing is worship, but um, that's between you and God, amen? Amen.